What is the future of Russia and Europe? Now, we may be sitting here tonight thinking that Europe's a long way away from where we are in little old Adelaide. Why do we care about Europe? Why do we have an interest in Europe and, and Russia? It's a long way away, especially down here in little old Adelaide, where you know, there's more important things to be worrying about, like football festivals and cost of living and interest rates and things like that. What I hope to be able to show you tonight is that the events in Europe very much have a relevance to every single one of us sitting in the hall this evening or watching online. The Bible tells us the very future of both Russia and Europe. It's, it's foretold for us, it's prophesied for us in the Bible. It does take a little bit of investigation to actually find out what the Bible does say about these two, two uh, areas of the, of the world. And hopefully tonight, as we go through together, we'll be able to um, expound that with you. But it's really through Bible prophecy that we can begin to have an appreciation. We have a privilege to be able to see some of the, these events that we're going to talk about tonight be, uh, being foretold. And they're happening before time for us as we get to read and, and learn of them tonight. So Bible prophecy for me is really fascinating. And when we look at Bible prophecy, what we need to remember is that we always need to look at the Bible first and world events second. We can't go looking at world events first and then the Bible second because then our, 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 our view is warped. The Bible needs to be the basis on which we base our understanding. What do I mean by that? I want to take, for example, our topic for this evening, that of Russia and Europe. Now, as Bible students, we believe that the rise of Russia together with the United Europe is a very clear indication that Jesus Christ is very soon going to be appearing on the earth. And this statement is something that we will back up, try to back up for you later on this evening. But just for now, take this statement as fact, because I want to highlight the danger that we can get into if we don't take the Bible, uh, looking at the Bible first, as a strong basis for our interpretation of world events. I want to take, take for example, uh, the early 90s, early 1990s. Russia, at that point in time, was in a very, very dark place. It was just after the fall of the Soviet Union. There was huge amounts of change in the world. There was stress. There was financial insecurity. There was financial collapses in the late 90s as well. And at the time, in the late 90s, Russia, as a country, was on its knees. It was broke. It was powerless. It was weak. It was an unstable country. It was not powerful at all to any stretch of the imagination. Now, I grew up in the 90s, and all through my early years of my life, all I heard from platform, platforms like this was that very soon Russia would once again become a powerful country. And we had talks on the same topic that we're here to talk about tonight, Russia and Europe, and the message was exactly the same back in the 90s as pretty much I'm going to give you tonight. It hasn't, hasn't changed. What's my point? Well, my point is, that no matter what we see happening in the world around us at our current point, no matter what is happening in world events, no matter which party is in or which party is out, no matter which leader is in control, the Bible needs to be our basis and our confidence in what we can see and prophesy of world events coming ahead. And the reason that we do that, the reason that the Bible is our basis for it, no matter what we see in the world around us, is for consistency. Because if we base our understanding of Bible prophecy on what the Bible says and not what we see in the world, the message remains consistent. Now, you can imagine some of the feedback that we would have received from this platform back in the 90s when we would have been talking about how Russia was going to become a superpower. Some of the feedback that we would have received. But the Bible said that it would happen. And hopefully tonight we're going to be able to share with you some of the excitement as we begin to see very clearly Russia becoming a superpower. Some have defined Bible prophecy as this. 
Hopefully this works. Some have defined Bible prophecy as the mold into which history is poured. And I think that backs up exactly what I'm trying to say. Prophecy is the mold into which history is poured. And it doesn't make sense if we view it the other way. We get very inconsistent. I want to take you back to the, the 1849 and some words that were written by Chris Delphin all the way back there. And his name was John Thomas. Now, he was, not a spe- he was no much more special man than me or you, but he had a great interest in the Bible. And he said some really interesting words. Not inspired man, just someone that studied his Bible. And what we're going to see is what John Thomas said back in 1849 is pretty much exactly the same as to what I'm going to tell you tonight. Not because John Thomas said it, but because the Bible said it. And his message is the same. He said this in a book he wrote, and the book was called Elpers Israel. He said that the future movements of Russia are notable signs of the times because they are predicted in the scriptures of truth. He goes on to say, when Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, then let the reader know that the end of all things, as at present constituted, is at hand. The long expected but stealthy advent of the King of Israel, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, will be on the eve of becoming a fact. Now, as we said, John Thomas was not inspired, but it was through his study of the Bible that he came to this realisation. He used the Bible as his mould, just as we hope to do tonight. That's the only way that we can see what God has in store for the world. Our message as Christadelphians that we preach regarding this subject and all of our subjects is consistent. From 1849 all the way to 2023, where we are today, the message is the same. That the rise of Russia together with a united Europe, is a very clear sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ back to the earth. And the chapter that we can get a lot of this information for is the chapter that we read out tonight, Ezekiel chapter 38. It's the same chapter that John Thomas used in order to gain his understanding of the future as well. It's the chapter which God has given us as a privilege. He's he's privileged us to, to read this and to have this book of the Bible to see exactly what's going to happen very soon in, in our world. So let's keep this idea of using the Bible Uh, as the basis, as the mould, as the template for our discussions this evening. And and we're going to do this by looking at our reading of Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, essentially, what what this chapter describes for us is an invasion of the land of Israel by a confederacy of nations which was headed up by this power or this person called Gog. Now, you're probably thinking, well, what does our reading tonight of Ezekiel 38 have to do with Russia and Europe? Because nowhere... In Ezekiel chapter 38, does it mention Russia and Europe? And you're right, reading through this, this chapter, the only countries I think maybe we would have been familiar with is perhaps Ethiopia, Libya, and maybe Persia as well. Not once is Russia or Europe mentioned by name, but hopefully as we go through tonight, we're going to be able to demonstrate some of these countries and their origins uh, for us and, and able to really demonstrate that Europe and Russia are crucial cogs in this, in this chapter. So let's make a start. Let's have a look at the Bible. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 38. And we're going to read from verse 1, and I'm going to read this from the Revised Standard Version. It's going to be on the screen for you as well. We read, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face toward Gog, of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Shubal, and prophesy against him. Now, I can, I can fully appreciate if you have no idea what I've read. It could have very well been written in another language. But what we're going to do is together we're going to do a little bit of research to try to find out what on earth God is saying here. What is he getting at? God is describing here some lands. He's describing some nations. We have this this place or these people called Gog, Magog, Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. But how on earth does that actually relate to all of us sitting here tonight? So let's start from the beginning. We're going to paraphrase the verse for you. Ezekiel, God says, 
set your face against Gog. It's the very first thing he says, set your face against Gog. Now this word Gog simply means the one at the top or the ruler, the leader. This Gog is the one in control. And he is a ruler, as we see, from the land of Magog. He's the prince of Rosh. He's the prince of Meshech and Tubal. Now God is telling Ezekiel to set his face against an individual whose, whose name is Gog. And he's the prince of a place called Rosh, Meshech and Tubal. Well, what are these places? So let's start with, with Rosh or Ross. So if we do a little bit of research, and, and feel free to check this out for your own self. Don't just take my word for it. If we do a little bit of research on the origin of the nation of Ross, it becomes clearer. Samuel Bocart, in his book Sacred Geography, he's, he gives this definition to the name Ross or Ross. He says this, Ross is the most ancient form. It's not on the screen. Yeah, it's not coming up. Thanks, that good. There it is. Technology and me are not good friends. So if anything doesn't work, please yell out, as my grandfather's just done. Um, so Ross is the most ancient form under which history makes mention of the name Russia. So that's sacred, uh, this, that is um, Samuel Bocart in his book, Sacred Geography. Encyclopedia Britannica says the name Russia is derived through Rossia from the Slavonic Rus or Ross. 18th century scholar Jesenius, he says, this of Rosh, he says, it's a proper noun of a northern nation, so that gives the indication, undoubtedly, with certainty, the Russians. Gibbons, in his book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, says that among the Greeks, the nation, or the name, had a singular Ross. Speaking of the Russians. Now tonight, what we hope to be able to do is just show you a few quick examples of non-Christadelphians. We're not going to use our own people to back up what we say. We're going to go to their secular society and see if we can get some proof as to what we are saying here tonight. Once you have a look at some of these countries, oh, obviously um, there's a map there. And if you see on that map, it's, a, it's an old map, but it's got the empire of Rus. If you have a look over that in the Europe, a lot of those countries that we're going to talk about tonight fall into that area on the screen. But here's some other countries. You may recognise some of these countries. These are all Russian countries. And if you look there, you notice the common theme with some of those countries there. We're going to keep moving. So what of Magog? Well, I want you to bear with me with this one. This one takes a little bit of proving to show you who Magog is. But in uh, December 2016, there was a dispute about some gold artefacts. And they were artefacts that were from Crimea. And these artefacts were on loan to the Dutch Museum. And this article was taken from the, you might not be able to read it, but I'll read it for you. It's taken from the Daily Telegraph. There was a priceless collection of ancient gold artefacts from Crimea that were on loan to a Dutch museum when Russia annexed the region, and they must be returned to Ukraine, a court has ruled. So there was these gold artefacts that a court has ruled must go back to Ukraine. It was a trove of Scythian treasures, which included a magnificent 4th century Scythian helmet, which had been lent by several Crimean museums to a museum in Amsterdam when Russian forces seized control of the peninsula in 2014. Russia and Ukraine have been locked in a diplomatic tug of war over this gold um, ever since. And the, the Dutch were trying to work out as to who they should return these, these uh, treasures to. The museum who lent them or the country that owns them. Long story short, we read their verdict. The ownership questions have to be settled when they have been returned to the state and in accordance with the law of the state in question, they said, saying the dispute should be taken up in a Kiev court, so in Ukraine. So the Allied, Allied Pearson Museum, they said, must return these treasures to Kiev because that was their origin. That's where they came from. Now, that's all very interesting. You're probably thinking, well, why on earth are we talking about Scythian treasures? 
After all, we're trying to work out who Magog is. What is the land of Magog? We may have noticed that I highlighted the word Scythian in this article, and this is crucial because it provides us a clue as to who, is the, who owns this region here. Josephus, the historian Josephus, in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, says Magog founded those that from him were named Magorites, but who by the Greeks were called Scythians. So what this historian Josephus is saying, very reputable historian is saying, is that the Scythians were also known as the Magorites, descendants of a man called Magog. And from this article, we can begin to see that the Scythians were originally of the land of Ukraine, the area of Ukraine, Crimea, and Belarus. All right. So what we're going to do is we are going to get our chairman, Sam, who's going to start putting some of these countries together for us on the board. Now, the only reason we're going to get Sam to do it is so Sam doesn't fall asleep. So if we can get Sam to start getting some of these countries up, they should be in order. And we're going to put some of these countries up on the board to the left of the screen, and we're going to put some other countries on the board to the right. Um, and we'll see how Sam can go with that. Hopefully uh, there's no, no issues and they're all in order. So what we're hopefully going to be able to see, as we're starting to see some of these countries in Ezekiel chapter 38, is we're going to see who these countries are that are coming down with Russia, with Gog as their leader. And so far, what we've seen is that we have the area of modern Russia, as we saw on that map, Ross, together with the area of the Ukraine, Crimea, Moldova, and Belarus. And if, you, if you're good with your history, you'll very quickly realise that these are old former Soviet states. When the Soviet Union collapsed, some of these countries gained their independence. But here we read of them all being held together under the rulership or the control of Russia. It's a large amount of territory when you think about it that we're talking about covered here. So who else is involved in this group of nations as we move through Ezekiel chapter 38? Remembering that this is a confederacy that is coming down to the land of Israel to take control of the land. Well, we have two more names mentioned for us in verse 2. We have Meshech and we have Tubal. And once again, quoting from Jesenius, he says of the area of Meshech, he says, a barbarous people inhabiting the Moshian mountains between Iberia, Armenia and the Caucasus. All right. And you may think, Brad, you've got it wrong. Spain is the area of Iberia and Portugal. But in ancient times, Iberia, this wasn't the case. Ancient Iberia is in fact the area that we would know of today as Georgia. Georgia is bordered by the Caucasus in the west, the Caucasian Albania in the east, and Armenia in the south. And this was written for us in The Making of the Georgian Nation. It was a book that was written, The Making of the Georgian Nation, by a Ronald Grigor Sunni, and he makes this point, that Iberia was centred on present-day eastern Georgia, bordered by the Caucasus in the west, Caucasian Albania in the east, and Armenia in the south. Its population, the Iberians, formed the nucleus of the Georgians of, the air, of this area. And that's what was written in the book, The Making of the Georgian Nation. So we've got the area of Georgia. The other country that we want to look at is Tubal. Jesenius says this of Tubal. He says, Tubal, the Tiberini, a nation of Asia Minor dwelling also by the Euxine, or the Black Sea as it's known of today. And it's become really relevant recently. The Black Sea, I'm sure we've all heard of that in the war in Ukraine. And if you take a look at the map on the screen, I think I might have a slide here next. No, sorry, I don't. Um, as, we, as you may know, the area of the Black Sea 
is, is where these areas are all centred around. So we have this area of Russia, we have an area of Ukraine, we have the area of Crimea, we have an area of Georgia, we have an area of Armenia. And I want you to keep these nations in mind. And remember, it's not sort of me telling you this. These are non-secular people. These are respected historians that are giving us this information. Encyclopedias, not Christadelphians. And through a little bit of research, and I really encourage you in your own time to really check this out and back it up, Ezekiel chapter 38 can really start to come alive. So let me just paraphrase verse 2 for you, perhaps make it a little bit clearer. It says, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, or the ruler, the one at the top, of the land of Ukraine, of Crimea, of Belarus, the prince of Russia, Georgia, and Armenia, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Shubal, and I will turn thee back, and I will put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armour, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is a big army. This is a great company, we're told, all with armour. But that's, that's not all. There's more countries involved in this confederacy with Gog. Persia, we read, Ethiopia and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Goma and all his bands, the house of Tagama of the north quarters and all his bands, many people with thee. Well, who are these nations? Well, some of you, some of you might recognise some of these today. In 1938, the Iranian government actually requested those countries that it had diplomatic relations with to call it Persia. So we have Persia as the name Iran, as we would know of it today. So Iran is also alongside this Russian confederacy. Ethiopia is a country today, and in the RSV version, the Rise Standard version, the word Ethiopia is actually the word Kush. Or if we go to the Encyclopedia Britannica today, the word Kush is an old term for the country of Sudan. So we've got Sudan also, or the South Sudan, also involved in this, in this confederacy. Libya today is a country that we would know of bordering on Egypt. So Russia is building, and building this confederacy, this group of nations. Ukraine, Belarus, Armenia, Crimea, Sudan, Iran, Iran and Libya. It's really beginning to start to see this is some big confederacy here. This is a big army. But there's more. There's more nations. Goma, we read, and all their bands, the house of Tagama of the north quarters, and all his bands and many people with thee in verse 6 of chapter 38. Well, what about Goma? Where are they from? Edward Wells, the historian in 1708, says this, The colonies which, coming from the nation of Goma, settled themselves in several parts of Europe spreading themselves further westward and settled themselves in the country which from them has been called Germany, as we know today. Out of Germany, the descendants of Goma spread themselves into Gaul or France. So we can say safely that Goma is the area of Western Europe. A lot of countries in the west of Europe incorporating both Germany and France. So you can begin to see why our lecture title tonight is Russia and Europe. This is a major confederacy of nations incorporating major countries, major players in the world in Germany and France, and also countries in the Middle East in Iran. Well, what about Tagama? Tagama's a little bit harder to find anything really definitive of Tagama, but what we do know is that it comes from the north, from the north quarters, north of Israel, and in the contents of the chapter. And most of the information that I've been able to gather on Tagama indicates that, that Tagama is potentially the area of Turkey and Armenia. So we're going to put Turkey and Armenia up on, our, on the side of the, uh, the hall tonight. 
We're going to stop and take a breath. This is some massive confederacy of nations that has been assembled under Russia's command to invade Israel. This is huge. And we're told in the, this in the following verses, in verses 7 to 9, we read in verse 9 that this confederacy is going to come as a cloud to cover the land of Israel. They will assemble on the mountains of Israel, we're told, to take a spoil and to take a prey. I want you to keep this take a spoil and to take a prey in the back of your mind because we're going to look at it a little bit later. Well, is this a successful battle? Does this Russian confederacy of all these massive amounts of nations and people coming down as a cloud to the nation of Israel, is it successful? Do they take control of the land? Is Israel destroyed? Is it mission accomplished for Russia and Europe? And is there any resistance to this battle? Well, there is. There is a little bit of resistance, but it's hardly a strong one. It's a very feeble resistance, if anything at all. And in verses 13, we're introduced to this opposing side that Sam's going to put on the other side of our screen for us. And we're introduced to some more nations that we need to do a little bit of research on to determine who they are. We read about the opposition to this invasion in verses 13 of Ezekiel 38. We read, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, that's Gog, art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? Sheba and Dedan. Who is this Sheba and who is this Dedan that is opposing this invasion? We don't have a huge amount of time to continue going to great detail to prove them. Suffice it to say that these areas are speaking of the Arab Gulf states. Sheba is commonly referred to as Yemen today. Now, I don't think we've got Yemen, and I don't think we've got our second one. And Dedan, Dedan is often referred to as the Saudi Arabia. Now, I've forgotten to print those two. I missed out, so apologies. So what we have in this opposition is areas that we would classify today as the Gulf states. Qatar, countries like Bahrain, Oman, and the United Arab Emirates. And alongside these Gulf state Arab states that are opposing this invasion of Gog, is we have this nation called Tarshish and these young lions. Well, what of Tarshish? We could spend a whole night talking about Tarshish if we wanted. Tarshish, the old lion, and with her, the young lions. I want to show you some pictures if I can, and often pictures tell a thousand words. If I could ask, actually, I might ask the audience, if anyone wants to yell out, if I would ask you what animal described is, if we said Russia, what animal is representative of Russia, what would you come up with? A bear, okay, fantastic, we got there. So, we, so a bear is the Russian, a symbol of Russia. If we were to look at maybe America, what would we come up with? An eagle, fantastic, great stuff. Australia, we've got a couple probably. Kangaroo, kangaroo, maybe an emu, something like that. All right, Britain, what would we come up with? We wanted to think of an animal that represents Britain, what would we come up with? We would come up with a lion, wouldn't we? Have a look at these pictures up on the screen here. The British Lion. I don't think there's really any doubt, is there, of which countries are being referred to. We've got the Arab Gulf states taking the lead against this opposition to, of Gog, together with the uh, countries referred to here as Britain um, and their young lions. And as we know from some of the World War II posts, the World War I posters there, the Empire needs men, and we've got the young lions there. And underneath that, we've got Australia, Canada, India, and New Zealand. So coming here tonight for a lecture about Europe and Russia, did you think perhaps that Australia would be mentioned? Well, it is. Australia is very much mentioned for us in Ezekiel chapter 38. And that brings us a little bit closer to home, doesn't it? 
We're not so isolated down here in Australia. Ezekiel 38 is saying that Australia is going to be involved in this great invasion of Gog in the Middle East. We will not be immune from it. And sometimes we can get a little bit complacent, as I said. But Ezekiel 38 tells us that we are going to be in the thick of it. And we're told that it's this group of nations that is going to oppose the Russian invasion. It's not a great opposition. It's more like they ask the question. It's a little bit feeble. And if you know, everything in this opposition or everything that they resist with revolves around a few things. It revolves around money. It revolves around spoil. It revolves around wealth. And it revolves around silver and gold. Thank you, Sam. That is a great effort. That's all right. You're still learning too. We all are. Okay. So um, it's all about wealth. It's all about spoil. It's all about gaining greatness. They don't really seem to declare war. They seem shocked. They seem a bit surprised. They go, what are you guys doing down here? Are you just come down here to take more money? Are you after more wealth? It's a feeble response really to an almighty invasion. So let's read on and see what happens in the, in the rest of the chapter. It's starting to get exciting. We've got these two opposing sides and we've got a bit of a feeble response from one side and a strong response from the other. Let's read on in verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say against Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwell safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from, thy, from the plate, thy place out of the north parts, another clue of where they're from, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding horses, a great company and a mighty army. It will come up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I'll bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes." Let's just stop for one second to catch our breath. Hopefully I haven't confused you so far tonight. I want to take you right back to the start of our talk this evening. And I said the most important thing when we're looking at Bible prophecy is to look at the Bible first. And I think hopefully so far we'll be able to stick to that ideal. I know there's been a lot of information, but it is necessary to sort of prove and to provide the framework as to who these countries are in this great battle of Ezekiel chapter 38. And as we said, we've tried to stick to some secular sources to try to develop for us the two sides of this, uh, of this operation. hope you've been able to sort of see what sort of battle we have here in Ezekiel 38. We have a Russian-led alliance of all those countries opposing Israel and getting opposed by a sort of feeble um, alliance by those. And if we have a look on this map here, I've sort of just tried to describe for us where this sort of sits on the world stage with all those countries on the board. As we can see, a great, great force is coming against the nation of Israel. Now, if we were to look at that, screen on, uh, that picture on the screen tonight, we want to ask ourselves, can we start to see, when we look out of the world today, remembering we use the Bible as our basis and then we look to the world, if we use the Bible as our basis to see these two countries lying up here and when we look out into the world, do we see any of those alliances starting to form? Can we see Russia in the world today, when we look at world events, developing stronger ties with all those nations there on the left? Can we see Russia starting to build ties with, say, Iran, for example? Can we see Russian influence growing in Africa, in Sudan, in Ethiopia? And I think we can. And can we see, on this side of the equation, any of those nations starting to strengthen their ties? tightening the relationship between Britain and the Commonwealth. Can we see that strengthen? Can we see things like the AUKUS deal occurring? Trade deals with India, Britain and the Commonwealth. I think we can. Prior to 2016, however, 
a lot of these countries didn't have quite as straightforward and a clear-cut difference. Now, why do I refer to 2016? Well, prior to June 2016, the political scene was a little bit muddy. Britain still was sort of sitting on the fence. They were still part of the European Union, but they had very strong ties to the Commonwealth, which has been strengthened now. They had a foot in both camps, sort of, to, so to speak. They were quite confused. But Christadelphians had said for years that this would change, that Britain would leave the European Union, all because of this chapter here in Ezekiel chapter 38. It's not for our special talent as Christadelphians, because we have none. It's purely because of this chapter in Ezekiel chapter 38. And it's what we've read about tonight. See, how could Britain, as we see on this side, oppose a European invasion if they were still part of the European conglomerate of nations in the European Union? I want us to remember our key point for tonight. Look at the Bible first and then the world for consistency. I want, us to show, I want to highlight this for you, what Christophians have been saying for so long. John Thomas in Ezekiel, in, in Elpis Israel, back in 1850, said, Britain cannot be included among them, Europe. Graham Pearce in 1981, he was a Christelphian too, he said, though we don't know how it's going to happen, Britain will separate from Europe. That's 1981. He also said in 1989, it should be obvious that Britain, biblically, has no place in Europe when Christ comes. And Paul Billington in 1990 said, she, Britain, is therefore perforce not part of the European system when these prophecies are finally fulfilled Britain's eventual exit from Europe is a certainty. Now, he said that back in 1990. So this is not some fly-by-night interpretation of the chapter that we develop when we see the world events changing to stay relevant. This is not prophecy on the run. This is grounded. This is factual. It's solid. The very that we see the Bible, God's word being fulfilled before our very eyes. No one really believed that Brexit would actually occur. I remember looking at some of the odds prior to the vote, and at that one time, to leave was about a dollar thirty, and to, let, to stay was about a dollar thirty, and to leave was about four or five dollars. The odds were well in favour of Britain staying in Europe, but Christadelphians believed that they would eventually leave Europe. Totally unexpected. But the God of the universe told the prophet Daniel a very interesting thing. And uh, in a minute, we'll really see the significance of this quote. God told Daniel something really interesting in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 7. He said, The matter is a decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. This is the key for us all here tonight. To the intent that the living, that's us here tonight, we're alive, may know that the Most High, or God himself, rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whoever he will, and he sets up over it the basis of men. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you could very well be forgiven for thinking that after the events of the last 12 months, that, Brad, you have absolutely got no idea what you're talking about. You would very easily be forgiven for thinking that everything I've said tonight about all those countries on the right, left-hand side, your left, is absolute rubbish. Because the events in Ukraine have resulted, really, if anything, in a Europe that is unified against Russia. And you would be right, it has. See, the NATO alliance has surprisingly held really firm, and if anything, it's strengthened its alliance over the past 12 months against Russia. Ukraine, from all media reports, seems very easily to be winning this battle. Now, that's a, that's a different story. Whether they are or not, we're not sure with the amount of propaganda going out. But you would see and think that Ukraine is winning this war against Russia. 
And I'm not too proud to admit that I thought that by now Russia would have very easily walked right through Ukraine and most likely right now be taking over the land of Israel when this started to happen. But you know what? It hasn't happened. But ladies and gentlemen, one day it will. One day it will. Sometime it's going to happen. Ukraine is going to fall into Russian hands either by a treaty or by a force. And the reason that I know that is because the Bible has said so. Because tonight, as we've seen, prophecy is the mould into which history is poured. No matter what we see at the present time, no matter if Russia is strong, no matter if Russia is weak, no matter if Europe is unified against Russia or when we see unified with Russia, the Bible is very consistent and it's very clear with the plan forward. And you may think this is never going to change. There is no way that those nations will ever side with Russia when we look out in the world scene today. You'd very easily be forgiven for thinking that. I, want to show you, I just want to show you two examples as to how this potentially could very, very, very quickly change. This was a headline um, just very recently on April, April 15. Now, these, this, is, uh, this is an example just to highlight, just in general, how quickly things in the political scene can move so fast. This is Marine Le Pen. She, is the, uh, she was the uh, a presidential candidate in France. And I just highlight this to show her view. Le Pen vows to keep Russia close to prevent an alliance with China. Le Pen says that she will engage closely with the Kremlin after the war in Ukraine. Now that was, sorry, April 18, uh, 2022. My apologies. She also went on to say in that article that France and Russia have common civilization, civilizational and strategic interests. And she said that she wants France out of NATO's command structure. All right, so just use that to show very quickly, a change in government can very quickly move things along in the way that we've just seen in Ezekiel chapter 38. Another example I want to show you as to how things can move so fast. In 2016, if we go back a few years, the world was once again shocked, not only with Brexit, but also the election of Donald Trump as president. And as we've heard recently, he plans on rerunning in 2024 as well. What we saw during President Trump's presidency was in fact almost very close became the destruction of NATO as we know it. In the space of a year or two, very quickly, NATO was severely undermined and was compromised. Now, if you know anything about NATO, NATO, the North American Treaty Organization, relies on the fact that they think the US will come to the aid of any NATO-listed nation if attacked by Russia. Now, if that doesn't happen, or if they think that isn't going to happen, really NATO is a complete and utter waste of time. So if the confidence in NATO wavers, or the confidence in the US to come to the aid of any of these nations wavers, if the US thinks that looking after their own backyard is more valuable than looking after fighting a war in Europe that doesn't really concern them when there's lots of little countries there, as it did under President Trump's regime or administration, is an option to sign a treaty with Russia, perhaps maybe the lesser of two evils. That is just two very quick examples as to how some of those nations very quickly would be able to switch to Russian power. See, no one believed us in 1990 when we said Russia would become a world power. They were broke. They were destitute. No one believed us in 1990 when we said that they would assemble a European army and that they would invade Israel. And right now, when we look out on the world scene, in the, especially in Russia and Ukraine at the moment, it may not look like look likely, but very quickly things can change. Tonight what we've hoped to do for you is to show you or provide you with a framework as to who these nations in Ezekiel chapter 38 are. 
it's not about how much we've been able to prove it to you. We've just provided you the framework in order for you to do some of that research yourselves. I hope that when you hear about Russia and when you hear about Europe on the news, that you uh, think more of it and that you want to learn more about it too. I hope that you never think of Russia and Europe in the same way ever again, really. Because, ladies and gentlemen, as we've seen from that quote in Daniel, God is in control. He's in control, he has a plan, and he's foretold what is going to happen. Now, I've got three more questions that we just need to answer for you, and then I'm going to sit down. First question is, why does Russia and Europe come down to invade Israel? The second is, when does Russia and Europe come down to invade Israel? And the third one, what is the result of this invasion of Russia and Europe coming down? First one's first. Why does Russia come down? Verse 11 and 12, it gives us the answer. If we have a look in Ezekiel chapter 38, they are after spoil, they are after money, and they are after wealth. Thou shalt say, I'll go up to the land of unwalled villages, I'll go to them that are rest, them that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, no bars, no gates, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to go there to take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, on the people that have been gathered out of all nations who have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Israel today is an extremely wealthy country. They are a hugely successful country. They are world leaders in so many different industries. And only now, very recently, have they become very rich in oil, um, in shale oil and natural gas, something which the majority of Europe relies on Russia to supply. There's a pipeline being completed through the Baltic Sea through to Germany called the Nord Stream 2. It's a completely bypassing the troubled nation of Ukraine and it's to pump gas into Europe. I want you to have a look at that project in your own time and just see some of the political fallout around that. That project has the potential to massively uh, shape the look of Europe and Russia economically in the provision of gas to Europe. But now, with the discovery of gas and oil in Israel, there's another player in the room. Huge amounts of gas have been found in Israel, and perhaps, we don't know, but perhaps this is maybe the reason as to why Russia comes down. See, Israel always wasn't this wealthy. Now, verse 12 tells us to turn thine hand upon the desert places that are now inhabited. Israel, prior to 1948, when they returned to the land, was a barren wasteland. It was a desert. It was, there was nothing there. They have no natural resources. In fact, Golda Meir, former Israeli Prime Minister said this. She said, let us tell you something that we have against Moses, us Israelis. He took us 40 years through the desert in order to bring us the one spot in the Middle East that has no oil. That's what she said concerning the land. So there's no oil, but now they've only very recently found gas. All right. Next question is, when does this battle occur? Verse 8 is the answer, and it tells us that it's going to occur in the latter days or the end days, but we're told very specifically, after many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years, in verse eight, thou shalt come out of the land that is brought back from the sword, gathered from many people against the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they that dwell safely, all of them. Suffice it to say that Israel was not even a nation prior to 1948. As we said, the land was waste, it was a desert, but now that's all changed, and Israel is a fully functioning first world country. After the Second World War, as we know, the Jews returned from all the nations. And this word safely, they're dwelling safely in their land at the time when this confederacy comes down. It's a word that means confidently, powerfully, securely in their own strength. And Israel very quickly at the moment dwell in their own strength. They live securely. They are very confident people in their own 
abilities. So we know that this invasion is going to occur after 1948. God has given us this sign to be looking out for each and every day. He's given us signs to be looking at these two sides forming. The final point of our talk tonight, uh, what is the future of Europe and Russia? What is the future? Are they successful in this battle? We read on in verses 21, and I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains. This is God, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother, and I'll plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I'll rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him, and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire, brimstone. Thus, he says, I'll magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I'll be known in the eyes of many nations. And this is the key, and they shall know that I am the Lord. God, ladies and gentlemen, is going to intervene. God is not going to allow his people to be consumed. He's not going to let his land be consumed entirely. God is going to intervene in this battle and Russia and Europe are going to be defeated. If we turn over to one chapter, Ezekiel 39, verse 3 to 4, he says, I'll smite thy bow out thy left hand and I'll cause thine arrows to fall out thy right. Thou, Gog, and the confederacy shall fall upon the mountains of Israel. Thou and all thy bands and all thy people that are with thee I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort and unto the beast of the field to be devoured. So God is going to intervene. He says in verse 22 of chapter 38, the reason is so that all the nations of the earth know that I am God. That God himself rules in the kingdom of men. Not Putin, not Macron, not Albanese, not the church, not the sports stars, not the media, not the influencers. No, God himself is going to destroy this confederacy so that the world knows that God himself rules in the kingdoms of men. And he gives it to whoever he feels like it. And in this case, ultimately, as we're going to say, he gives it to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry for going a little bit long. It is a very big topic to sort of try to cover Ezekiel 38. But hopefully what you've been able to see tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that as Christadelphians, we are excited as to what we are seeing in the world today. Not excited for the fallout and the tragedy, absolutely not, but we're excited to see Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Never before have we seen prophecy occurring like we see today. What we've seen tonight is God's message and his plan being fulfilled before our very eyes. We haven't had time to sort of show you um, all of these alliances forming in the world today. That's your job to do that moving forward. You know, when you're watching the news, when you hear of Russia and you hear of Europe and some of these nations um, thawing their relations, when we hear some of those nations joining together over the next weeks and months potentially, I want you to remember where you first heard of these alliances occurring. It was here, or if you're watching online, it was here that you heard it, but you didn't hear it from us, not because we're any special, you heard it because it comes from God's word, the Bible, and the book of Ezekiel in chapter 38. Because if God was right in Ezekiel 38, then he is also right when he says in the book of Daniel that he prophesies that his son, Jesus Christ, is very, very soon gonna to return to this earth, that he is going to destroy Gog, Russia and Europe, and he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth of which both me and you can have a very exciting future in.